We all know the story about a meteorite hitting Earth, killing off all the dinosaurs. But did it do something even more spectacular? Then we traveled to Cuba to take a look at Castro's bizarre obsession with ice cream. It drove him so mad that dairy products were better in other countries, he actually broke science to create the perfect cow. And then we traveled to Vietnam to see if there's any truth to the rumor that back during the Vietnam War, U.S. soldiers were outfitted with experimental night vision goggles. These goggles didn't just let them see their enemies in the dark. It also let them see the demons that inhabit the world. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. We got a lot of stuff to cover, so first off, let's introduce one of our legacy Patreon supporters. Riding on the back of a St. Bernard puppy, it's Desu. Everyone give a round of applause for Desu. Desu apparently can fit on a puppy. He is riding in. Desu, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon or if you guys can't fit on the back of puppies, which I assume is 99% of you, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. Desu, we're going to pick you up off the puppy and we're going to put you in the pilot seat of the dead rabbit rocket ship. We're going to leave behind Earth's atmosphere here and we're going back in time. So Desu, take control, hit that little time travel button and blast us off. I came across this the other day, but it happened 66 million years ago, so it took a while for me to get the news. The rocket ship is launching us up in the air and back in time. Specifically, we're going back 66 million years. We're watching the planet Earth beneath us, and we see this giant asteroid coming closer to Earth. The asteroid, we all saw that great documentary, Armageddon. We know what's going to happen, right? This asteroid is going to... Did they talk about that in Armageddon, actually? Was it Armageddon or Deep Impact or Jurassic Park? Or one of them. I think Armageddon started off 65 million years ago. I remember laughing out loud in the theater. It's one of those movies. I remember when I watched Deep Impact, there was a rat rotting behind the screen. So that's what I remember about Deep Impact. That there was a dead rat in the movie theater. Armageddon just wasn't good. It wasn't good all around. Dead rat or not. But anyways, we're watching this giant asteroid come now this asteroid is actually larger than mount everest it's just massive now recently on twitter there is this book excerpt that was going around it was a book called the ends of the world volcanic apocalypses lethal oceans and our quest to understand earth's past mass extinctions it was written by peter brannan and so i haven't read the book but i read i read the tweet I read the passage, and that's what we're going to be focusing. The rest of the book is maybe good. I don't know. But this tweet sure was. So anyways, we're watching this giant asteroid, this planet killer, coming into the atmosphere. This is what this tweet explained. The, the asteroid was so massive that when it hit the Earth, the tip of the asteroid was higher than a 747 flies. It was a mile higher. I looked back over at my notes. It wasn't just as high as a 747. It was a mile higher than a 747 flies. So, I mean, there's just so mad. Like, it boggles the brain to think how big this was. And it was moving so quickly, and it was so large, that normally asteroids break up in the atmosphere, and they become like shooting stars, and they all kind of fizzle out. This didn't happen. 
This thing penetrated the atmosphere. The atmosphere actually just moved out of the way. It was like a bouncer at a mafia club. And he's like, okay, sir, you can go ahead. You can just walk in. The atmosphere just moved out of the way and just parted as this thing punched into the Earth. It didn't break up in the atmosphere. It actually punched the planet. Now, because there was a huge hole in the atmosphere for a brief moment, and this thing hits, and that hole is still there, when it kicked up dirt and debris and foliage and animals, some of them, from the sheer impact of this, left the planet. Now, we've seen those simulations. I'm sure you've seen them. I'll try to find one for the show notes. They're actually cool and scary. And when a big enough asteroid hits the Earth, it'll actually peel off the mantle of the planet. Like, you're peeling an orange. And it'll actually, like, ripple and it'll completely devastate the planet. Like, you can have a bunker, it doesn't matter. It's just going to get ripped open. And I've seen that, and you can see, like, parts of Paraguay end up in Antarctica. Because it's just these mass, it just everything's getting obliterated on the planet. But the way they're explaining this one is that when this impacted the planet, and because there was that giant hole in the atmosphere, because this thing was so huge, parts of our planet left our planet and floated into space. And in this book, it hypothesizes that there is a possibility, a strong possibility, that there are dinosaur bones on the moon. Isn't that insane, dude? Now, when I read that, I thought, I just, I, I'm always amazed by uh, nature's majesty, right? Even though that's an absolutely devastating thing. It turned out great for us apes. We took over, <laughs> we took over from you reptilians. All it took was the earth to nearly be obliterated. But that's just so fascinating to me, the raw power of the universe. That you could have this impact that's actually throwing life forms. Th- they weren't, they, they ceased to be life forms. When the meteorite hit, but if you were in the general vicinity of this thing, now this one was like this. This one wasn't so big; it like would peel the mantle back, like the example I was using. But if you were living in this area, you were dead. If you were living, and also it changed the climate and everything. So even if you weren't living in that area, T Rexes are like, oh, I don't feel so good. I wish I could knit a parka. I wish I knew what a parka was. But in this area in the Yucatan, I believe is where they think this thing impacted. You had a bunch of dinosaurs just get obliterated, and some of them flew into space. So I think just the raw nature, the raw power of the universe is fascinating. But then I think, because I'm a conspiracy theorist, nice try, Peter Brannon. Nice try. Because I thought about this. This (laughs) conspiracy cap on, we're putting them on early this episode. What if, you know, China's going up to the moon... America wants to go back to the moon to set up a base so they can go to Mars. All this stuff. We're going to be on the moon a lot, and I I suspect in the next 30 years. And we're going to find a Triceratops skull. We're going to find a Triceratops skull, and people are going to be like, what? What is this? Why is there a Triceratops skull on the moon? And now people can go, oh, oh, it's because the meteorite hit so hard. There's dinosaur bones on the moon, and we can show you this tweet. Twitter won't be around in 30 years. It won't be around in five years, probably, but... They'll have it in a museum. They'll have this tweet in a museum. I started to think maybe this is a cover-up to explain why when we start kicking dust around on the moon for serious reasons, building laboratories and things like that, what happens when we start finding a T-Rex eating a brontosaurus on the moon? 
But then I realized also that when they said there's dinosaur bones on the moon, I don't think they even meant a whole triceratops. I think it was probably like pulverized triceratops bones. But again, again, what happens when we have scientists up on the moon and they start sending back their research and they find any sort of bones on the moon? <laughs> it could be any sort of bone. Even if it was pulverized, even if it was a little chunk, could you imagine what the conspiracy theorist community like me, like irresponsible people like me would say. But apparently there are bones on the moon and they wouldn't decay. They'd still be up there. You could probably find pulverized triceratops bones on the moon. So that's cool scientifically. And then when they start revealing that they have found bones on the moon, then um, this will be their cover story. When in fact we know the triceratons are on their way. And that, that, that the first one just died on the moon. He wasn't a really good pilot. Daisu, let's go ahead and leave the Dead Rabbit rocket ship in orbit, and we're going to transfer over, do a little spacewalk into the Dead Rabbit dirge. will take us back down to Earth. We're leaving behind the icy, cold grip of outer space. We're headed to Cuba. It's going to be dope. We got on all of our Cuban clothes. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know what Cuban clothes are, but we're wearing them. And we're like, hey, man, really cool Cuban clothes. And I'm like, I know, right? We're smoking Cuban cigars. We're watching that amazing film, Dirty Dancing 2, Havana Nights. It's on repeat the whole way down. Jason Jesus in the gas. He's like, hurry up. Let's get down there. Hurry up. I've already watched it 10 times. We're going to 1966 Cuba. And I got all of my information from this story from an article written by Simon Chadwick on the webinarvet.com. So thank you, Simon, for writing this article, doing this research. It's 1966. It's Cuba. Fidel Castro is firmly in control. But the island is having food shortages. The Soviet Union is kind of synonymous with food shortages. And the, considering that Cuba aligned themselves with the other country that has constantly failed to feed themselves, it shouldn't be any mystery that this is also going on. Plus, Castro, because he's aligned with people who had to borrow wheat from their enemy, it's not like he could get food from Soviet Union. But Castro's thinking, you know what? I'm going to make communism work here. They didn't make it work over there, but I'm going to make it work here. So we need to figure out a way to produce more food. And when Fidel Castro, <laughs> the whole time he's talking about food shortages, there were actual food shortages. What he really meant was milk shortages. Because little did you know... Fidel Castro is a milk addict, or was a milk addict, but because he's passed away now, but he was addicted to milk. He was so addicted to dairy products, he started a fight with France over who had better dairy products. <laughs> France is like us, dude. What are you talking about? Fidel Castro is like, taste our cheese. Isn't this the best cheese in the world? And the French guy's like, yeah, this cheese is okay. It, I don't even think it's the best in the Western Hemisphere. But, and then Fidel Castro got mad at him, and the, the French diplomat had, had to go, dude, listen, a bunch of countries make cigars. You make the best cigars. Who cares if you make good cheese? Fidel Castro, uh, <laughs> Fidel Castro cared. He really, really hated it that his cheese wasn't better than France. Well, he believed it was. He also built this giant ice cream palace. <laughs> it wasn't a palace made of ice cream. That would be amazing. Capitalism would have completely failed if you could build an edible house and everyone just lived in edible houses. People would be like, I don't want this free enterprise stuff. Give me the ice cream palace. He built an ice cream palace that had ice cream in it. And there would be lines around the block to eat this ice cream. It had more flavors than Howard Johnson's, which is so meaningless to me nowadays. Was Howard Johnson's known for having a bunch of ice cream? I thought it was a hotel. I probably have more different flavors than Howard Johnson's. What, is, what does that even mean? 
He also supposedly ate, every Sunday, he ate 18 scoops of ice cream. Can you imagine that? I haven't eaten 18 scoops of ice cream in the past year. I keep comparing myself to Castro for some reason. I'm like, what? Castro, you suck. I don't do that. But he loved dairy products. I'm like okay on them. I can drink, I drink milk maybe once a year when my tummy hurts. And I eat ice cream usually when my tummy hurts too. It's a medicine to me. But he goes, listen, we have a food shortage, <laughs> which I mean milk shortage. And all of his commanders are like, yes, we know what you mean. We need to start producing our own milk because we obviously can't import it from the Soviet Union and America doesn't like us. We're in this cold war with them. So we need to have our own dairy cows. Now, Cuba actually had cows, but they were meat cows. They were cows that you would eat. They weren't cows to be milked. They weren't cows bred to be dairy cows. So he goes, listen, we're going to build a super cow. We have the technology. And the commanders are like, we don't have the technology. He's like, well, we better get the technology because I want dairy cows. So they took a Cebu cow and a Holstein cow and they bred them. And they were able to do this breeding program. And the goal was by 1971 to have 1 million super cows. Dairy cow. He didn't want just dairy cows at this point. He wanted the best dairy cows in the world. <laughs> Especially better than France. Definitely wanted better than France. But he wanted to show everyone what's what. By 1972, the program had been successful in creating one cow. Just not one million. They did have one cow named Ubra Blanca, a.k.a. the White Udder. Now, Ubra Blanca was treated as royalty in Cuba because it truly was a genetic super cow. It would, in a day, produce four times the amount of milk as an average cow. In 1982, squirt, 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 it actually produced 109 liters of milk. That's 52 liters of Coca-Cola. Next time you're at a grocery store and you're walking down an aisle of a grocery store, as you're walking down this aisle, I want you to count the two liters. And I want you to imagine those, those two liters full of milk. I want you to imagine a single cow. I, you have to imagine this. The next time you're in a store, I'm going to be standing behind you. Are you imagining this? You're like, ah, how'd you get here? How'd you know where I lived? Squirt, squirt, squirt. I want you to imagine 52 liters full of milk. Now you go to... You're like, Jason, I can just go to the dairy department. Why are you having me walk through the soda aisle? Well, I want you to pick up some soda while you're there. Sprite Zero Sugar. But you could also go to the dairy aisle. I just figured that the two liters, that's how I think of measurement. Two liters. That's a lot of milk. 52 liters worth of milk or 109 liters if you're not addicted to soda like I am. But like I said, Ubra Blanca was treated like royalty. Had an air con- She had an air-conditioned stable. It's always kept at a perfect temperature for a cow, which which I don't even know if the cow would realize whether or not it was air conditioned. Soothing music played as handlers squeezed her udders, ushering warm milk out of her body into a tin pan. Other cows, I don't know why all of a sudden it sounded like she was walking in pudding, but that's that's the sound of a milking cow. Other cows... We're probably jealous, but that's not what I was about to say. Other cows were forced to taste her food. Um, 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 um. In case someone tried poisoning the miracle cow. This cow was a symbol of Cuba's scientific prowess. They created the most efficient cow on the planet. 1985, after giving birth to its third little calf, Ubra Blanca got sick. 
the doctors started to get worried. They're like, listen, this one, we tried breeding a million of these girls. We only got the one. So we should start thinking ahead and figuring out a way to have more of these. So they took out some eggs. They took out some eggs of her to freeze. And that actually aggravated a tumor. A few weeks later, they had to put Ubra Blanca to sleep. Castro was heartbroken by this. He actually loved this cow so much. He would visit her. There's photos of him standing next to this cow. He's all, he's all, move out of the way, move out of the way. He's milking her himself right into his mouth. Mmm, body temperature milk. Just the way nature intended. They're like, no, Castro, no. That's super disgusting. He's all, nom, nom. After she died, she got a full page obituary in the newspaper. Her funeral was basically a state funeral with full military honors. There's a statue of her. There's a statue of a cow in Cuba. She has a stamp. And this is something they don't do with humans. Well, they did it to one human, but he was a mushroom, actually. They took Ubra Blanca and uh, turned her into, like, they preserved her, basically. They stuffed her full of dirt, dirty newspaper and foam, and now she's on display. Now, I'm not saying they took Vladimir Lenin and also stuffed him full of dirty newspaper and foam, but I do think it's weird when we preserve bodies like that. Usually they'll do with animals. We covered the episode about the St. Bernard. The most famous St. Bernard, he's just kind of like sitting in a museum. Like, just let him decay and become part of the earth. Don't fill him full of, nu- nu- don't fill him full of newspapers. Don't fill, fill him full of Bazooka Joe comic books. It's just disgusting. Like, Uber Blanca just deserves to go back to the earth. So they got the frozen eggs, though. Were any of her children also super cows? No. Unfortunately, no. All of her eggs that were frozen, they tried turning into super cows. They're only normal cows. So Castro was completely heartbroken. His idea of having an army of a million perfect dairy cows didn't work until 1993, when Castro was watching a little movie called Jurassic Park. And he asked his scientists, can we take any sort of DNA from Ubra Blanca and clone her. And the scientists go, well, considering she's now stuffed with dirty newspaper, probably not, but we'll try. And uh, you know how that goes. The cloning was not perfected back then. They were unable to clone Uber Blanca. She got a stamp. She got her desiccated body sitting out in the middle of a museum somewhere, covered in cobwebs and kids' handprints. But she didn't have any genetic super children. And her record was broken. At the time, she had delivered the most milk in a single date. It wasn't until last year, it wasn't until 2020, that her record was broken. She pumped out 109 liters of milk in one day. A new cow pumped out 127 liters of milk in one day. It's not much, but it only takes one more home run to beat the home run record. So, Uber Blanca, you're now the number two most milk-producingest cow in history. But you'll always be number one to us because now whenever we walk through a soft drink aisle of a supermarket, we will think, Ubra Blanca, you son of a gun. You did it. You really, really did it. And then you won't want to buy soda because you'll imagine a cow just leaking bodily fluids all over them. Daisy, I'm going to toss you the keys of the carpenter copter. Take us out of Castro's Cuba. We are leaving behind the shrine of... Ubra Blanca, and we are headed out to Vietnam. This story was recommended to me by Peter Summers. Really, really interesting one. Thank you so much for sending this one over. 
And he got it from a podcast YouTube channel known as Forum Borealis. It was an interview with Cliff High. Now, we actually covered Cliff High a long time ago on episode 222. Is 5G tech a weapon against aliens? He had created... I don't remember the exact context that we talked about Cliff High in the episode, but he had created a thing called WebBot that basically scanned articles. It scans all news coming out on the web, and it tries to find keywords to predict the future. So we did a story on him a long time ago, but in this one, he's telling a story to the podcast host of Forum Borealis. And this is the story that Cliff tells. Now, this podcast is usually deals with UFO phenomenon, and they were talking about Corey Good. They were talking about Corey Good. We've covered him as well. He, I think he's the guy who believes reptilians are hanging out in Antarctica stealing people. He might also be Corey Good. Might be one of the people uh, who believes in the Mars, the slave colonies on Mars. I'm not for sure, but the, the name Corey Good is very familiar to me. I just don't know exactly what episodes we talked about him on. But they're talking about Corey Good, and then Cliff High goes off on this segue where he talks about his father who served in Vietnam. So the carbon helicopter is coming low over the jungles of Vietnam. Desu is an expert combat pilot. We trust his steady hand. And we're starting to see a bunch of other helicopters fly alongside us. We're now part of a, what is it called, a flotilla? All these helicopters come in. Fortunate son, a course is playing. His father was in Vietnam. He did three tours. Now, during his second tour, he was a field officer. Now, Cliff High's father, we're going to call him Joe. Joe had a really good reputation within the military. He was a competent officer. He could keep his mouth shut. He could follow orders. And when he followed the orders, he did a good job. So he became part of this experimental program where they were working on night vision technology. Now, this would have changed the scope of the war, is what Cliff High was saying. If you could just see everything at night back then against an enemy who didn't really know that technology existed, it would be a game changer. But this night vision technology is different than the night vision technology we have today. Night vision technology, the reason why it shows up is green. So you have the black background and then you see all the green. is because green is one of the colors that humans can see the most variations of. It's an evolutionary trait. Most of our food is green. So we're able to distinguish different types of green better than any other color. So that's the reason why night vision goggles are green today. But this story says... The original versions of night vision goggles were red. They used the red spectrum. These were issued to the soldiers, and these are issued to helicopter gunners. And they're testing them among these select troops. They want to see how these work in the field. And Joe High, he's a field officer. He's overseeing his men. They're wearing these goggles. One night, Joe High is flying in a helicopter. He's sitting in the co-pilot seat. The other guy's piloting it. They're in a swarm of other U.S. helicopters. They're traversing the skies of Vietnam. Everything seems calm. This is actually friendly territory. They don't really expect any resistance here. But the machine gunner opens fire. And the other helicopters don't know what to do. They're looking. They're scanning. They don't see anything wrong. Joe High turns around and asks what's going on. And he sees the gunner with the infrared goggles. Just shooting. But he's not shooting at the ground. He's shooting in the air. The machine gun isn't targeting any sort of troop movement. It's shooting out of the helicopter at nothing. Joe High has to go over and interrupt the gunner. What are you doing, man? What are you shooting at? What are you shooting at? 
They got a radio into the other helicopters. Hey, it's fine. It's fine. There's nothing else. Because they saw that he wasn't shooting at the ground. They see that he's shooting at something in the sky. Is there an enemy helicopter? Is an enemy jet coming in? The gunner turns to Joe High and tells him, I saw it, man. It it, it just came at me. I, I just opened fire. And Joe's like, what? What did you see? What's going on? The gunner says that as they're flying, he looks... And what could only be described as a winged beast, a demon, flies up alongside the helicopter. And he goes, it wasn't like a hallucination. I mean, it might have been. It might have been. But the scariest part, Joe, the scariest part was that I'm sitting there manning the gun. And I see this impossible creature fly up alongside the helicopter. And it's flying next to us. And it looks at me. Wasn't a trick of the light. It looked at me. And then it began to motion with its finger for me to come to it. It reacted to me. It saw me. It saw me. Joe begins to collect stories from other field officers whose men are using these goggles. They're getting complaints of seeing monsters in the jungle. Great winged beasts flying over the treetops. He starts to hear reports of people engaged in quote-unquote self-destructive behavior. And there seems to be a high correlation between the people who are losing their minds and the people who are testing out these goggles. On top of that, at least once a week, Joe High is hearing reports of someone just opening fire. Everyone's just sitting around playing cards, hanging out. Someone grabs a rifle and starts firing up into the sky. At one point, now as a field officer, the military said they want the men testing these and the gunners testing these, but they said no officers can use these night vision goggles. We want to see the enlisted men use them. You figure, yeah, sure, whatever. I'm just going to follow orders. Not really thinking of it. But once Joe starts hearing about these reports, one time he goes, hey, can I see those? Can I see those goggles? And he said he put them on and he looked up at the canopy of the jungle and he immediately started to see movement in the treetops. Couldn't really figure it out what it was at first. But then he caught a glimpse of a giant winged creature launch itself from the top of a tree. He immediately takes the goggles off. And he goes, not even the treetops were disturbed. The leaves weren't moving. There's no sound coming from the top of the jungle. But I saw something launch itself off of the jungle canopy into the sky. But it wasn't really there. At that point, he actually ordered his men to stop using the goggles. He goes, don't, don't worry about it. I'll take the flak, but you guys aren't going to do that anymore. And apparently there were higher-ups in the military that said that was the right decision. They were hearing reports as well, but it sounds like they wanted to get to the bottom of it what actually was going on the host asked cliff high did your dad ever bring home a pair of goggles and cliff high kind of shrugged it off and he goes what no my dad really wasn't like that like not not a guy to steal military equipment but cliff high also says my dad said that he put them on very briefly and it affected him for days afterwards like it really rattled him he goes the men who wore them constantly He goes, they weren't right for months. A lot of them had to be shipped back stateside 
because they just couldn't get out of that self-destructive mode. Whatever that is, maybe they became heavy drinkers, maybe they started to just become loonies, but they were affecting people wearing these goggles. And so at a certain point, the technology was important. Being able to see in the night, being able to see in the dark was important. But maybe if they just did a color shift, they could have the best of both worlds. They could have the ability to see in the dark and not go insane. And that's why our night vision goggles are green nowadays. At that point, something really weird happened. The podcast host goes, well, you know, this show's about aliens. And and so they changed the topic back to Corey Good and talking about these bluebird aliens, these avian aliens and all this stuff. And then as far as I know, they didn't. I listened a little bit more of the podcast. It didn't sound like they brought this back up. Very bizarre so that, that that was way more fascinating than anything you could talk about aliens. I think any show should be able to pivot to talk about the ability to see demons on Earth. It was weird. It was super weird for the podcast host to do that. And I, I was going through the website, and I guess there's episodes you have to pay for and things like that, but they mentioned that they spoke about this again on a consciousness podcast that came out later, but I haven't been able to find it. I tried looking around. He was back on this other show, but I think it was one of the paid ones. But even then, it's just weird that you would, why would you segue out of such an interesting story to go, oh, let's go talk about aliens again. Because for all you know, these were aliens. Definitely not life that's indigenous to Earth. Very, very creepy story if you think about it. Like, first off, it could not be real, right? It could just be, Either a story that a dad made up or a story that Cliff High made up. Definitely possible. The dad's like, come here, little Cliff, sit on my lap. I want to tell you the story about the darkness that surrounds us. Yay, daddy. But it's possible that it's totally made up. But if it's not made up, that idea that a simple color shift could make you see. I, I you know, and I let me back up here for a second. What were they seeing? If these creatures are all around us and a simple color shift allowed us humans to see them, then they're just all around us all the time. When we're driving to the store to look at all the two liters of soda, there is a demon standing on a rooftop staring at you. But the demon's just, if you, every time you go to Macy's, there's a demon standing in the men's dressing room as you're changing your clothes. And I mean, yeah, I guess that's creepy. But I think what's creepy, even creepier than that, is the fact that when the soldiers could see the demons, the demons realized they could be seen and they were trying to interact with them. Like, is a demon constantly just standing in the corner of your room beckoning you to it? Or did these creatures realize, oh, he can see me. Now the game's really begun. He says he's an edgy, bad joker impression. I think this story might actually be pretty easy to confirm as well. I'm sure you could build a device that gives you night vision ability. With today's technology, I bet you there are people who could build a night vision device from the ground up that allows you to see the color red, all the images in the color red, rather than all the images in the color green. And if that's the case, what happens when somebody does it? They're going to test them out, and they're going to start to see things. And it's going to break their mind. But it's going to break the mind of someone who could put this together in the first place. And that's exactly the type of pawn that a demon would want. You don't want to make this guy to go too crazy. You just want to influence him to make more of these devices. And begin to sell them. Begin to distribute them. 
turn the technology into an app that you can download on your phone. A simple color switch could allow a human to see the world of the demons. And there's a part of us that is curious enough to try that at least once, to see if it was true. What could be the harm in looking, we would tell ourselves. What would be the harm in seeing? We just want proof. So if someone ever turns us into ghost goggles or something on your phone to download and see if there's any spooky creatures in your neighborhood, I think a lot of us would fall for it. And we'd test it out. We'd put those goggles on and walk outside. Demons do exist, whether we see them with our eyes or we don't. Sometimes it is better to be ignorant than search for proof. Because the proof we find may be at the cost of our own sanity. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.